Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. So tonight's teaching, guys, is going to be called The Man in the Mirror. The Man in the Mirror. Because one thing we got to understand about this, this is not an old Michael Jackson song, and I'm not going to quote lyrics from that because you know most things that people do today they steal from the bible all right plain and simple but one thing we must understand and what i'm going to be talking about tonight as far as the man of the mirror because there's a lot of things that we do as people you know ever since the fall of adam and eve we've always had the blame game you know ever since adam fell he never wanted to be accountable eve wants to blame adam she never wants to be accountable But when we look at this whole situation, no matter what we do, no matter what we go through, it always comes back to us. Every single piece. You can take someone, for example, that's had a rough life. Let's just say you come from an abusive home and all these things have gone on to you. Now, you know that God wants to set us free from our pains and things that we've experienced. But, you know, in the end of all that, at the end of all the blaming and what somebody did to you, one thing God wants you to do is forgive and give all things over to him, and you still gotta be saved. And you see, that's the whole thing about it. No matter where we can point the finger, no matter what we can say, how hard our lives were, no matter what somebody did to me, in the end of it all, it's all about the man in the mirror. It is always about you. Accountability will always, accountability will always come back to you. And what I mean by the man in the mirror is how many of us know by now, after reading the Bible, that the Bible itself is a mirror, that the Bible itself shows you who you are, that you might make it right. So that's what we're going to be talking about. today. Anybody for anything that we've gone through. But the truth of the matter is when we stare into the word of God, we know that we're unrighteous. And the whole goal is for us to be able to look into this mirror see ourselves for what we are so that we can be made right. And you want to know the funny thing about people is the things that we hate about people are pretty much the things that are in ourselves. I'm telling you, I've learned that from teaching these kids and dealing with things like that. When I see behaviors like theirs, it makes me look at myself as some of the things I might have done at some time, or I still might be doing, you know, that really is my issue. Proud people hate pride. They are the first to recognize it, and they're the first to shoot it down. You know, phony people hate phony. They are the first to recognize it and the first to shoot it down. But who are they really? You're phony. That's how you know. Con men, you never hear that term, you can't con a con man? Yeah, because a con man knows the game. But guess what? If there's any con man in you, the Bible will bring it out. And you, so that's what we got to recognize when we look at people, when we judge people, man, I've been in situations. I remember even being around boxers and other people that couldn't stand another fighter because of how he fought or what his personality was and everything. And they would say, man, you see what he's got wrong here? 
he's blah, 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 that, too proud, too this, too that. But you know what? Another fighter or trainer will come to him and say, yeah, I remember when you were 21. That was your personality. You were very much like that. But it's just one of those things where we can't afford to point the finger. We got to look at people, you know, see them for who they are. But we first got to look at us and see who we are, that these things can be made right. Because God don't even want us to judge situations unless we can actually see what things truly are. You know, we cannot be hypocrites. We can't, you know, look at everybody and their problems. All of our problems lie from within. I think we did a teaching a few years ago called The Enemy Within and The Enemy Without. But it's the truth. It all begins inside of us. Because if the world would stop blaming and stop looking at this, because of you, I didn't do it. Because of you, our marriage is bad. Because of you, the kids were raised that way. No, nah, man, this all goes back to us. If everyone were to do their part, even in, even concerning the body of Christ, everything would be fine. But because some people want to take the time to blast others, you know, and put other people down about what somebody's not doing, then why don't you pick up the slack and do it? But you see, that's too hard for some people. So it's so much easier to point the finger. I'm not where I need to be because of him. And that's not of God. God wants us to be able to conquer inner space, to die to self, become alive to Jesus Christ, that we may do the will that Jesus Christ wants us to do. That's just so important. It's so important. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care who your mother or your father is. I don't care who your pastor is. It all goes back to you. Now, some people could say, look at Joel Osteen deceiving all those people with his false gospel. Hey, wait a minute. Joel Osteen is not their problem. Their problem is they got a word in front of them, a Bible, and they refuse to read it so that they can tell what is right and what is not right. We can put the blame on anybody, false prophet, this and that. But why do the people sit there week after week? Because they refuse to look at the word of God, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can see themselves. It always, always comes back to, comes back to us. And the Bible is designed that way. The Bible is designed in such a way that unless you are living righteous, you cannot use this word as your sword. You cannot say, I'm going to cut down every hypocrite and this and that, and the word of God will be just like this. See that guy? Yeah, this is what I've been trying to tell you for the longest. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah, hypocrite, right? No hypocrite will prosper. Well, here you go. But you see, that's what God wants for us because the only way for us to be made right is to see ourselves for who we are. And we can't pretend in this. We can't fake this. We can blame from today until tomorrow. But guess what? In the end, you still need to know the Lord. You still need to get saved. You still need to be made into the image of Jesus Christ that you can now go and tell other people about where they're lost. Man, the Bible is infallible. The Bible is perfect. Everything in this book has something to do with us. But that's the only way that we're going to be seen right is if we see the man in the mirror. And the Bible is the perfect mirror because it doesn't, you know, pull any punches. It doesn't put any false words down there. It doesn't tickle fancies or make you feel good about yourself. If you're a sinner, it's going to show you who you are. And when you begin to feel good about yourself, it's because you're becoming more like Jesus. It has nothing to do with you and your personal victories. Praise the Lord. Hey, Sister Naima, Sister Latoya, Sister Sarah. 
Coach P, Sister Tara, and Brother Sal. Sister Sarah is here, as you guys know. So let's get right into this lesson, guys. And we are going to, uh, well, let's pray, and then we'll get right into this lesson. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my brothers and sisters, both near and far, that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life and not death. And we just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you bind the devil in this very hour, that you keep him at bay. Lord, let your people may take the inward walk, that they may see the things that you want them to, Lord, so that way we can be fully accountable, that we can all come before you, that we can all work out our salvation with much fear and trembling, that we may get a job done for you. So this is no time, Lord, to blame folks. This is no time to go into the things that we think other people are doing. But this is a time for your people to get deep in consecration, deep in the spirit, deep in your word, deep in you, Lord Jesus, who is our ark. It's going to take us through the flood, all the delusion, all the lies, all the things, Lord, that mean to take your people down. And we just pray, Lord, for the comforter. We pray for the Holy Ghost. We pray for he that is meant to bring us into all truth and righteousness. We pray tonight, Lord God, that you speak, that your people may see that unless we get right, then there is nothing else around us that will. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. Lord, we pray that you bind all wicked, foul, and, and evil spirits, that your people may get a victory in you this day. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get right into this lesson. I want to go to start with Psalm uh, 139. Let's get started with Psalm 139. I hope my brothers and sisters are doing well out there. You know, I've always been that kind of guy around the holidays. We were always taught, keep it close to home. Because, you know, man, a lot of people probably died last night, didn't even make it into the new year because they got caught up with foolishness and things that got nothing to do with God. You know, and I'm the type we were always taught in New York holidays were dangerous. You stayed home, man. All the drunken drivers and, you know, people in rage, drunk, walking the streets, wanting to start a fight, wanting to hurt somebody. Better off just to stay home before the Lord and get it right with him. So, you know. All right, let's get started. Psalm 139, let's look at verse one. This is a Psalm of David. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. You know, it's an interesting thing. If we were to compare the word of God or even the Lord Jesus Christ to a mirror, isn't it funny how you can just um, fix yourself up one day and think that you look good and you got everything intact and then somehow you head right to the mirror and you see your reflection in it and you're like, oh no, 
No, no, no. This is not what I thought. This pink or this red or this blue does not match with what I'm wearing right now. So I got to go in the house and change it. Man, my hair, this dude messed up my haircut, man. This ain't cool. But you see, if you compare God and you compare, you know, the word of God to a mirror, then it really does show us who we are. So look at what David says again in verse one. He says, the chief musician, a Psalm of David, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. What does this mean? You cannot fool God. There is no one that knows you better than he. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. So every time you and I try and be slick and we think that we're doing something just for the sake of doing it and we don't get it right with God, God knows the intent behind the heart. That's one of the scariest things about God in the judgment seat is we're gonna be responsible for all witchcraft that we commit. All things that we do contrary to God's spirit and what he tells us to do, you know, God's gonna say, why did you give that money? Somebody, you may say, oh, I did it to help people out. And the Lord is like, you sure you didn't want a plaque with your name on it? You sure you weren't doing it for popularity? These are areas in our lives that we wanna be searched out so that way we can come and do things with a pure heart. Man, and if you think about that, just being a human being, is it a pure heart that we're searching after? Don't you know if we look at some of our motives in our lives, what we become, I mean, what we can really see and say, man, that, that ain't have nothing to do with purity. I did it for this reason or for that reason. But you see, God wants to clean all those things out of us that we can truly be pure in heart. Man, that's a beautiful thing. So he says, but there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O God, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain to it. So I want to give everybody an example of what this kind of looks like. I'm not going to get the married folks in trouble, but I'm not going to, um, you know, spare what I'm about to say. But let's just say we're married people and, you know, we're in the workplace and let's just say you're a boss in an office and you've got a secretary and your secretary does all these things for you. You know, you ask her to do it. She's prompt. She makes sure that everything is together. It handles all your business. But you find yourself asking her for favors with a little bit of like what you would call flirting in your system. You see what I'm saying? Oh, you know, I need to talk to you. Oh, no, we need to discuss these things in private because, you know, um, I don't want everybody in the office hearing it. But what's the truth? You want to look at her in that tight dress as another example that you may try and get to know her. You see, these are things that you got to look at. You may say in your mind, I'm a married man, but in your heart, you're still searching after that attention. You're still wanting to be seen and desired. You still care if she thinks that you're attractive or not. You see what I'm saying? These are things where you find even a lot of married women will be dressed like they're single, out there still looking for attention, knowing that they're married. And I mean, that's a crazy thing to think about, but you see, that's the intent in the heart that God wants to look at. Because you know what, every now and then, I'll find somebody in the workplace or like somebody, let's just say they're, you know, um, yeah, and at, at the job down there, you know, I may be security on my second job. 
I'll hold the door open for somebody to walk through. They'll say thank you. And I'm like, yeah, you have a nice day. And they're like, yeah, you know, you guys are very polite. Yeah, you know, because, you know, that's what we do. And the Lord is like, that's what you do, huh? And then you catch yourself, you know, now you, you have a good day, you know, whatever. But you see, that's a part of the flesh. That's a part of the secret faults, the still having a desire to be seen. And I'm not saying that a person is a sinner because of this, but those are those secret faults, those areas that the Bible tells us we should not be engaged in. But you see, if you die to self and become alive to Christ, you don't have to deal with none of that mess. But you see, it's those little things that let you and I know we're still alive. We still like the things of the world. We still do things to try and get the things that we want. And those things have to be taken away from us. But you see, this is what a mirror does. A mirror is such a perfect uh, you know, glass that it has the perfect reflection of what's on the other side. And when you see it, I mean, it catches every detail about you. Wherever that mirror can shine and get to, man, I didn't even realize my, my socks were kind of dirty. I didn't even realize, man, I got a pimple underneath my chin. But you see, that light, that mirror catches every single thing. And if we look at God and we see God as a mirror in his word, the only thing we can do before God is play it straight. Yeah, God, I did that. I'm sorry. You know, forgive me. You know, yeah, I did this because of that. God will take those things away from you. But if you try and like play God, like he don't know what's in your heart, like he doesn't know what you're really about, man, you're kidding yourself because all these things are going to be brought before you in the day of judgment. So look at verse uh, verse five, I think I am. Am I? He says, thou hast beset me uh, behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven or up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand uh, lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. So there is no way around God. As we talked about before, he's that high that you can't get over him. He's that low that you can't get under him. He's that wide and that deep that you cannot get around him. You've got to play it straight and be honest with the Lord if you desire to change. He says in verse nine, uh, actually verse 10, he says, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. So there is no hiding in the dark. There's no doing whatever you want to do. And I'm going to stress this point, man, because, you know, we, like I said, we can get a little information. We can get into the Lord. We can do things that we think are right in our sight. But when you play them according to the word of God and the very nature of Jesus Christ, the spirit of God will let you know when you are wrong. So anyway, look at verse, um, yeah, darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. Like I said before, we are a work of art, man. You know, a lot of us have body parts that we don't even truly know the, the full purpose of why God put them there. Like when you get a funny feeling in your gut, what is that? Is that your spirit? What about when your heart feels funny, when you don't forgive and when you decide to, your heart feels clean? You see, there are so many areas within us that God had put, you know, made us to that in that way that we may be able to identify who we truly are and what the motives of our heart are. Why you feel guilty when you lie? Because God made you that way. You see what I'm saying? But God made us in such a way that he knows the inner workings of every single man. We might outwardly appear stoic and happy and loving, but in that heart, man, God knows every single thing about you. So we're, we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're wonderfully made because we have a chance to be the temple of the living God to house the spirit that God may get the glory in us. And then we could be fearfully made because of the fact that man without God is a beast. He's an intelligent beast. He's a deceitful beast. He's a charismatic, you know, you know, a, a beast. He can he can pretend that he is not what he thinks he is. So you see, we can either be a beast or we can be the glory of God. That's all that we've got to look at here and recognize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So he says, look at verse 15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in the secret made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned as when, as when yet there was none of them. So even as an embryo, even when you were made unperfect, God had a plan for your life. He knew everything that you would do. There's nothing that you can do that will shock God. Like I said, as a baby, God knew how you would walk, how you would talk, what you would be named, all these things. Look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. So man, do you know that God's thoughts towards us are of the sand of the sea? So when you understand why God may feel, you know, upset about sin, why he gets grieved, why he wants you and I to be right, is because nobody's heart is affected by your sin more than God. Nobody wants you to be right more than the Lord. So you see, when his thoughts towards us are of the sand of the sea, man, you can't even fathom what God really, what his love is really all about. I remember an uncle of mine that died um, you know, because he was a sinner, he died, and he saw the father and the son. He says, you know, the Lord gave him six more months to live, but when he saw them, he said he felt so much love. That was my uncle Kurt, which who, who did, eventually did live six more months, gave his life to the Lord, and before he died, but you know, he made it right with the Lord. God gave him mercy, and he said there was so much love in the presence of God. He said he didn't even want to go back, even though he was a sinner. 
And the Lord was like, man, you got to go back. You got to make this right. You can't qualify to come into the kingdom now. But you see, this is the love that God has towards us that he wasn't even thinking about his wife and children. He just wanted to be in the presence of Almighty God. That's something to think about. Man, and that's what God wants every single one of us to feel. So look at verse 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Uh, and am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Look at verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this is interesting because we wanna know what a man after God's own heart looks like. How many of us pray to be searched out of the Lord if there be any wicked thing in you? Is that even how you start your prayer? Is that even how you begin your day? But you see how in many ways we can assume we're good people. I don't need to pray for that. After all, God has redeemed me. So all I need to do is ask God what he can do for me and maybe someone else that I love near me. But you see the difference? You see where he's asking to be searched out? Lord, I don't wanna hold anything between you and I. How many people are, are praying and searching for God? to call out their faults, that they may make them right. That has a lot to do with the man in the mirror. As David drew closer to the Lord, he said, man, Lord, you are everything and I am nothing. I just want to be like you. I just want your heart. I just want your ways. I just want to see life the way that you see it. How many of us are praying for that type of heart? And this is what we need to look at because you see, the devil will convince you, nah, you holy now, ain't nothing to worry about. Yeah, after all, you go to church, you've been baptized with the spirit, you've been doing all this stuff, so you're a good and holy man. But David here recognizes, Lord, search me out. Search me out because I want to be like you. That's something for us to think about. Thank you, Lord. Look at Hebrews 4. You were gonna say something? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, so. um, it's like tonight when we went out for a little bit, and, you know, just to feed and talk to the homeless, you know, just about everyone we encountered out there said, hey, you know, you should go over to this people. Have you been over to this people? And it was almost like they didn't really have much care for their self. They wanted to make sure that their brothers and sisters out there mm -hmm. actually had as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see, the homeless people, before a lot of people are considered the scum of the earth. Why feed them? All you're doing is helping them to become worse and worse. But you know what? I'm recognizing that the more we spend out there with them, they care for each other in many ways. Maybe in a bizarre sort of way, but while they were being fed out there tonight, they were asking, oh, did you go over and see our friends over here? Because they might be hungry. And they're like, yeah, we, want, we got them already. And oh, oh, okay, cool. Now you would think someone in their state would say, man, you got another sandwich? you know, whatever for me, because, hey, I'm trying to eat. I don't have much. You know what I realized? The more people have, if they're not made right in Christ, the more selfish you are, because you begin to see more things that you have before you that you don't want to lose. But when you don't have much, 
You seem to love much and give more. That's why rich people can never give poor people giving. Their hearts are not the same. I'm not saying rich people can't love and give, but they live by a different law. They live with having. They're competing to be the best. Hey, I got mine, get yours. But you see someone that comes from nothing, that grows up in a community full of people, hey man, you know, we ain't got much, but you can come over and eat with us. But you see, that's the heart of those who don't have much because, hey, I'm not building treasure anyway. We ain't got much. I'll be the same kinds of hungry tomorrow. So you may as well come eat with us. We have enough faith in us to know it ain't our money that's getting us by. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I am by no means praising poverty. I'm just making the point. Poverty can be a curse. But when you look at those people who have very little, that are homeless, that are all these different things, how can they love one another like that? I remember one day I bought a pizza for them and I bought it for the guy. And he put out his whistle, whoo, hey guys, we got dinner tonight. Yep. And they all shared one slice. You know how small Little Caesars pizza is? They all shared one slice and they were happy. Man, we're really missing out on what our hearts should be. Nothing wrong with having, but we should all be in that place of, man, what about my brother? Man, that's an inward walk. That's a reflection of who we are, that we may see, you know what? I can be quite selfish. I can be concerned for me because you see the same heart that carries the money is the same heart that walks by people every day needing to be saved. It's the same heart. Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't forget to eat, how are you gonna forget about your neighbor? If you don't forget that you need a relationship with the Lord, how about preaching that to somebody else? But this is the man in the mirror that we're looking at because if you desire to take care of you, you should be looking after another. That's Bible. I don't care what people think about that. That is the Bible. That's how our Lord Jesus Christ lived. If we think that we can get by not having the heart of Christ, then what we're telling the Lord is, I'm greater than you. Yeah, you may give all, but Lord, that's because you were the Lord. But as far as I'm concerned, I need to keep all my goods because they're for me. No, that's evil because you've got a rich elite people in the world that live this way, that think that 99.9% .9 of the pie is theirs and the rest of you peons go out there and get what you can get. You know, what's their problem? No word of God. But for us, the man in the mirror, shows us who we are. Sometimes we could be proud about our accomplishments, but I love what Pastor Price said about that. He said, check the seat next to you. He said, you ain't got nothing. The reason is, is because we can say, I'm a righteous man, a woman of God. But like, you know, like Jesus said, a good tree is known by his fruit, right. okay? And that's what the word of God does. It shows evidence of where we are. So look at Hebrews 4, look at verse 12. He says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now imagine that, man. The word of God cuts in that deep, that it's a divider of soul and spirit. Then it says, and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So man, if we could just read God's word, spend time with Jesus Christ, 
this word by itself will transform you because it just shows us who we are. Are we going to yield to the process and admit it? Or are we going to get to the place of just saying, no, nah, I'm good. You know, I mean, yeah, there were some things. I'm no longer fornicating, but, you know, I'm still good. Nah, man, the Holy Ghost will take you and wash you inside out to show you your faults that you may be, you know, without blame, without spot in the coming of Jesus Christ. But that's what we need, the word of God. We need to look at it realistically so that we can have the things that God wants. That's what this is all about. So praise ye the Lord. All right, let's go on. Let's go to Matthew chapter seven. There are a lot of things, like I said, when I first started teaching in this, and you know, this may happen to me, you know, a couple of years or months down the road, but I remember when I first started teaching in this, I started getting so, you know, happy about the accomplishments. God's using me, God's doing this, God's doing that. Now I can't even stand to listen to some of those teachings because I saw all pride. I saw while I was sitting there running my mouth, I was trying to please people and show them what intellect I had, what I knew. But when I look at it now, man, some of those videos, they stink. They stink with pride. They stink with man. They stink with wanting to be glorified. But you know what? That's okay. Because unless I can get myself right to do what God says, I can't be of any service to anyone else. My logic, my understanding, my perspective is going to be skewed unless God shows me who I truly am. What's up, Sarah? Oh, yeah, okay, cool. I thought you were gonna say something was wrong with the uh, video and all. All right, so let's look at Matthew chapter seven. Matthew seven, let's look at verse one. This is the most popular, all right, uh, scripture that, that most unbelievers know. Why? They have used it as a weapon to try and stop people from telling them about their nasty, filthy sin. Look at this. Matthew 7 and 1, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. Most of them stop right there and close the book. Get out of my business. Get out of my life. Don't bother me because the Bible says do not judge. That's garbage. Look at verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So it's not about judgment, it's how you judge. Look at verse three. And why beholdest thou the mote or the speck that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? So can you imagine somebody having some coal in their eye, okay, that can just quickly be washed out compared to somebody having a log in their own eye? Do you know how blind that person would be? What kind of person would you be to say, you've got a beam in your eye and you're telling somebody, yeah, you need to clean up your life. You need to get that speck out of your eye. And you know what the Lord does? Because he's done it to me. Here's your reflection. This is you. There were times, man, that I didn't even have my life right with the Lord in areas. And I tried to go off and minister to people about things that I had not done. You know what the Lord does? The whole time you're sitting there talking to the person, haven't you guys ever felt that before? Yeah, you need to get bold in Christ. And you know what the Holy Ghost does? There you go. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, because you know, like God wants you to, um, you know, you can work things out. Of it. Yeah, but you know what? That's good for us because 
We can run our mouths, but can we walk it? The Lord says before you even, look at this. Look at this in verse of five. He says, thou hypocrite. Look at the word hypocrite. This is G5273. One who answers an interpreter, an actor, stage player, a dissembler, a pretender, a hypocrite. So in other words, I'm pretending that I'm righteous. But you see, Jesus calls that a hypocrite. You want to talk it, but you can't live it. He says, first cast out the beam that is in thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You know why this must be done? Why we must be sanctified? Why God must clean up our lives and things in our life when we're, we're going to serve him? Because it's disempowering to be a hypocrite. Your own countenance will tell on you what's in your heart. People have got ulterior motives. That's why you got to be cleaned out because you can easily say, now I got a brother and sister, you know, that were engaged tonight that I'm happy for. The Lord praised them. I hope that the Lord blesses them and gives them everything. Now, what if I was a friend giving them advice, talking about that you don't want to, you don't want to go too fast now. But you know what the problem is? These two are my best friends. So if y'all get married, I'm going to be cut out of the equation. So, you know, I'm telling, hey, man, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. Because I'm telling you, people will turn on you. But what's the real, what's the problem? It's what's in my heart. I'm jealous. I'm not married. So therefore, I'm going to try and destroy what they have. So you see, although some people may say, be careful, and we should go into things watchful, but you must look at the intent of the heart. That's what the word of God does. Because what I would divine on them if I wasn't right, that's witchcraft. Because I want them to say, yeah, maybe we should wait a few more months. And I'm like, that was close. So now, you know, I get to hang out with them a little bit longer. No, man, that's not right. But you see, this is why we need the Holy Ghost. So we need the beam taken out of our eye that we may be able to judge righteously because everything outside of the judgment of God, and it's, it's wrong. It's always got a motive. Even if I want you to shut up and never minister again, I'm going to preach a lesson on that to disempower you. You see, so this is one of those things where we just need to take that inward walk, see ourselves for what we are, that the Lord can make us right and we can do right. Because outside of that, man, man is wicked. Y'all don't know that already? Man is wicked. Okay, but you see? It's so wicked to the point where it's like, you're putting the truth, you know, on Facebook or in, or in people's faces, and because it does not correspond with the life that they want to live, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it's not factual or it's not true or, you know, I can't believe that because, and that's evil. Mm -hmm. Evil doesn't have to mean you just put a gun in somebody's face. Mm -hmm. Evil can mean that you don't want to see the truth because basically, what the, like you're saying tonight, the Bible holds that mirror in your face. You're a homosexual. Here's a mirror. Mm -hmm. The Bible says you cannot be a homosexual. Mm -hmm. What they do, they take the mirror and throw it away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if I were to see the mirror in me, hey, Derek, you're proud. Right. You see what I'm saying? The mirror is only going to reflect what's there. Don't get mad at the word of God. Don't get mad at the person preaching the message. If it's you, then it's going to affect you. Pastor Price said this years ago. He said, if you take a break and throw it in a pack of dogs, the only one that's going to yell or you're going to hear squeal is the one that got hit. 
Okay, so if your sin hit you, you're going to feel some way about it. But that's just the word of God piercing through, showing us where we're wrong so that we can make things right with the Lord. A lot of people get offended and turn messages like this off, but hey, man, we're trying to help you. If you've got cancer, okay, and you've got tumors in certain places, you would, would you want that doctor to tell you, see the tumor there? And no, nah, man, you'll be all right. You know, because I don't want them to worry about dying. I don't want them to worry about being scared that they're sick. No, you would want that doctor to say, oh, Mr. Hallett, um, we found a tumor, you know, on your body and, you know, wherever place in the body. And, um, yeah, we can get it if we perform surgery very soon. Hey, man, I'd rather that than to be, you know, nah, you all right. And then six months later, I'm dead. What, what good did that do for me? So you see, the word of God cuts out the cancer. It takes away the things that are not right so that we can be that spiritual house full of the temple with no restrictions to the Holy Spirit. That's all this is about. That's all this is about. Let's go to 2 Samuel 11. You can't get mad at the word of God. Word of God is infallible. What's the problem? You. All it does is show you who you are. Now, if you aren't guilty of any of the things in this book, then you're not going to feel one way about it or the other. But if you're doing these things, man, that cuts deep. Man, that hurts. Yeah, it hurts. And let them go in there with that scalpel and clean out all your mess. Why? So you don't even have to live with it anymore. You reject the word of God. You're telling God, I want cancer. I want to be sick. I want to be demon possessed. I want to be filthy and nasty. No, let the word of God show you where you are that he can clean out your mess. Look at 2 Samuel 11. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still in Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now notice one thing, when the kings were out to battle, David is home. Now you see, David's problem wasn't the woman in the, at the rooftop that he was staring at. It began with him first being slothful, relaxing from the battle, believing in his heart that he was a special favorite, that he can stay home while all the other kings go out and do the assignments they're supposed to. This is where it all begins. It all begins in walking outside of the will of the Lord, not walking in the spirit, but indulging in the flesh. You know, and some people could say, man, I went back to fornication and I don't know how it happened. Well, what were you doing before that? Were you walking in the spirit or were you thinking TV was more important than God? Were you watching movies that you probably should have put away? What were you doing? Were you, were you entertaining the flesh that it may be stronger or were you walking in the spirit that the spirit may be stronger? That's where it begins. Not in David looking at a naked woman, 
It began with what was in David's heart to believe that I don't need to walk in the spirit. I don't need to tend to the things of God. I can kick back and enjoy my life. And that's what this is all about. So look at verse uh, look at verse three. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So he's like, hey, man, I know this woman. And you're inquiring after her, David? Look at verse four. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him and he lay with her but she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house. You know, it's just really crazy at times how people can use power to get the things that they want. This is also a nasty thing with them because you know, if you didn't know that David changed his life and this is where it ended, David would be one of the most despised people in the Bible, how God gave him such grace and mercy. But David here, used his power to call a woman. And notice the guy says, isn't this the daughter of Iliam? You know, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? You know who that was? That was the Holy Ghost. That was the Holy Ghost saying, David, you shouldn't have been staring, one. But two, do you know that this woman is married? And this is the daughter of a father that you know? You know, that's like kind of checking you, David. Don't you see this, man? You're about to commit adultery. You're about to do something unclean. So he tried to tell him, but David, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that for me. And um, yeah, I'll be in my quarters. You see, but it first began in David believing he was a special one that didn't have to be out there. In the field with the other kings that were at war, he felt I can relax from the war. This happens to Christians all the time. When we believe that we're in good standing with God, and we don't need to continue to push forward and walk in the spirit. You're gonna find lust come upon you. You're gonna find lies come upon you. You're gonna find yourself in mixed company with the wrong people. And then you ask yourself, how did I get all the way over here? Look at this, look at verse five. And the woman, uh, look at verse five. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded for him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed uh, out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So I just slept with your wife and now I'm gonna send you a bunch of meat and I'm gonna tell you it's okay to go home with your wife. You see, but you know, a real man would have admitted, hey man, I did this, you know, but at this point he already went on the wrong track. So what does he feel like? It would be too much for the king to be seen this way. So let me continue lying, you know, just to try and exercise a little more power. So look at this, look at verse, uh, Verse nine, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with her, uh, with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. This guy, Uriah was a loyal man. He could, you know, David was pretty much telling him, man, go home and, you know, get some comfort from your wife. You know, and then Uriah's like, man, we're at war, David. I'm gonna be there serving the king, doing everything that I'm supposed to do. 
Because right now, David is like the devil, you know, pretty much. Let me cover myself and let me do what I need to do, you know, to try and exercise more authority. So look at this in verse 10. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then did thou not go down into thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul livest? Um, liveth? He says, I will not do this thing. So Uriah had a fresh perspective. We got the Ark of the Covenant out there. You know, this war has not been decided yet. And I know we, we fight for the true and living God. How can I go and enjoy myself when we're in the battle? So Uriah is seeing things clearly, but David is upset with Uriah for not going to cover up his own filth because David has a beam in his eye. David's not seeing himself for who he is. This can happen to anybody. David still thinks he's that young boy that stood before Goliath and was ready to defend Israel. He still thinks that he is that anointed king that God made, that he had to run for 15 years from Saul to become king. David lost sight of the goal. David lost sight of the war. David now believes that he is a special one with God that he can't even see the man in the mirror. This is important, guys, because we can easily go off track like this too. This is something that we've got to look at, see ourselves for who we are. So look at verse 12, and David sent to Uriah, and said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow. I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, he went out to lie on his bed with, uh, with the servant of his Lord, but went not down to his house. So as you can see, David's trying to get him drunk. You know, drunk man is a sex maniac. He certainly won't know what he's doing. He's gonna go and get with his wife. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 14. Uh, let's see. Oh, so he didn't go. He, he stayed, you know, he still didn't go down to his home. He was still serving David as a drunk man. Look at verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Man, Dave, this is premeditated murder. He's telling Uriah, I mean, or telling Joab, who was his cousin or nephew, mm -hmm. he, he told Joab, hey, here's what you do. Get Uriah to the front lines, let him fight. Take him to the roughest side of where the battle is taking place. When the time comes, you're gonna depart and we're gonna leave Uriah by himself. And this is wicked. This is wicked. Okay. But you know, if the Bible were to ever put our life out there and the things that we've done, we'll find out we got a lot in common with David. So before we look down on him, we better look at the man in the mirror. So look at this. 
So this is verse uh, 16. And it came to pass when Joab observed uh, the city that he assigned Uriah unto the place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of that city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. So notice Uriah didn't die by himself. There were some servants of David that died in this whole scheme too, all to cover up a man's sin when he could have just gone forward and just admitted, well, he shouldn't have even been there to begin with. But what's worse than that? Now you're gonna be a murderer and, a, and an adulterer. What's worse than that? You know what I'm saying? So this is something that we've got to look at and see that the only way with God to play it is straight. Look at verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, wherefore approacheth ye so nigh unto the city? When he did, or when ye did fight, uh, knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? So you see, Joab is pretty upset right here. He wasn't okay with what went on. But after all, David is the king, so he can't really do a whole lot. Now, you know, let's skip by this because one thing we know, look at, look at verse 26. It says, um, and when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David was a mastermind. He was Lex Luthor. He had the whole thing figured out. Hey man, I'm gonna get out of this unscathed. But the one thing David didn't know, he might've fooled everybody, but the only person he couldn't fool was the Lord. What he did displeased the Lord. So let's look at uh, chapter 12 right next door. Uh, this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we're gonna look at verse one. So 2 Samuel 12 and one, it says, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, uh, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat uh, of its own meat and drank of its own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler, unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for a wafering man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come, or that was come uh, to him. Now you gotta ask yourself, why did uh, Nathan, being under the spirit of God, start out with this story? Anybody know? No. Well, if he were to say, well, David, you adultering murderer, you know what David would have done? Denied it. What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm David. You don't talk to me like that. So what is the man in the mirror doing? What did God do? 
God gave David a fresh perspective of his own story. He's showing David what really happened that David might understand. And look at verse five. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. So, and you know what? The Lord was hoping he would say that because you see, this is what should have happened to David. But this is the love of God, you know, showing David the mirror that he may see. If you're angry about somebody like that, why should I spare you? Because this is what you've done. So what is David doing right now? He's a hypocrite. He's pretending. He's acting like he's got nothing to do with this. He's been a righteous king the whole time. And, and the fault lies with this story that I just heard. Yeah, bring him in here because I'm going to deal with him. This is what David is thinking. But look at this. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Man, this is beautiful. And look at verse seven. And Nathan said unto David or said to David, Thou art the man. Okay, so now that you've said this, David, now that you have proclaimed righteous judgment on yourself as a righteous king, I may as well tell you that it's you, that God knows your whole story. He says, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. So as you can see, if David would have said, Lord, these wives are not, they just don't excite me anymore. The Lord loved David so much, man, let me give you some more wives. That's how much God loved David. Now we know this is the old covenant, so this doesn't apply to the new, but it's important that we understand the Lord is saying, David, I loved you. I would have done anything for you. You didn't have to take this man's wife and do what you did. But you know, you know when Jesus tells us, if you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, I'll grind you to powder. That's just making it clear that if we don't confess our sin and see the man in the mirror for who he is, and God's got to come looking for you, it's not going to be pretty. So we may as well desire to be like God. We may as well confess the sins that we commit. We've got to desire to be made right and not hypocrites because a hypocrite is only going to hurt himself. Okay. You may fool many, but you will never fool God. So he says, look at verse nine, wherefore has thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in thy sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. So not only did you kill him, David, you used God's enemies to kill a righteous man. Man, that's love. But look at verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. You wanna know what's interesting about this? Everything David proclaimed in judgment was a judgment back to him. How do I know this? Because David said that that man will repay what he has done because he had no pity. And the Lord says, okay, David, since you proclaimed that, 
the sword will never depart from your house. This debt needs to be paid. Since we're on the path of being righteous, this is what you've got to do. And what happened? David's son, Amnon, uh, raped uh, David's daughter, uh, Tamar. You know, raped her. He lusted after her. She came in the room and he raped her. Then you had Absalom, who was upset about that. David's other son kills Amnon. Then Absalom takes the um, takes all of Israel, okay, to love him, and he goes after David, tries to kill David. Then you had Solomon going off the deep end. You had all these different things happening, all because of one man's sin. Man, it would do us some good to look at the man in the mirror. There's nothing worse that when you try and help students in school get their lives together and their parents call you talking about where you're wrong. My thing is, do you are you concerned for your child? Do you even realize most of their problems began with you? I just met this kid this year. He didn't turn this way overnight. He became this way because you didn't look in the mirror and see yourself for who you are to give your life to Christ. This is something that we've got to look at. Your problems are not your own, okay? They will spill out onto other areas unless we deal with the man in the mirror. And it's that important. It's that important. So anyway, you know, I even got a, the Lord hit me in my heart with this too, because, you know, everybody wants a prosperous ministry. Everybody does want to be fruitful and do the things that God says. You know, I often look around at times and say, you know, there should be a lot more going on. But you know what David Wilkinson said, which made me really look at myself. David Wilkinson said, there's no such thing as dead ministries. There's dead pastors. He says that when, when the people themselves are not full of the spirit to seek after God, you're going to find some death. So you see, it always begins. I can sit here and blame some people don't contribute. They don't want to do this. But you know what? If I take an even deeper walk, Derek, you can pray more. You can fast more. You can actually give more time to the spirit than to give time to the flesh. It always goes back to us. I don't care who we look at, who we blame. I'm not saying we're responsible for people falling away. But in many ways, we are responsible for the people that are around us because there are things that we can do more. Okay, Jesus was the light. He revealed himself as the light. He told them that they were the light, but he led by example. I can look at areas of my life that I don't have together. And I don't feel sorry for me. We all fall short of God's glory. But this is why we strive to get it right with him, that we can have everything that we need. You can't pretend something's happening if it's not happening. You can't call yourself, I'm full of God, knowing deep down that if you look at the life of Jesus and you look at mine, there's some missing holes, buddy. I'm not saying we're not being fruitful on a small level, but you know, hey, the promises that came to Christ and to the apostles and to all that have a lot to do with me too. I can get myself together. I can do more. I can press in harder. I can go after more souls. Oh, it would be a beautiful thing to blame everybody else in here for why things are not. But the question will still remain with me. What more can you do? You see what I'm saying? That's what it's all about. Now, if people don't want to help or want to do whatever, that's on them. But the fact of the matter is I can't blame them for what's going on with me. Because as we talked about earlier today, life begets life. Everything will bring forth after its own kind. 
We just need to dig a little deeper, get full of Christ, that we can ring in the harvest like the Lord says. That's really paying attention to the man in the mirror. I would love to feel like a great one. But when the mirror is reflected in me, yeah, I see some areas that you're not like Christ. And we're going to work on them. But that's what it's all about. Yes, Sarah. Well, and that's why the scripture says, and a lot of people want to overlook this, that salvation is an individual affair. So if salvation is an individual affair, then we have to have that life of Christ living within us. I mean, mm -hmm. you're right. And Pastor Price is right. And you're right when you guys have said that ministry should be, what, inde independently interdependent. Mm -hmm. And so you're independent because salvation is independent. You're interdependent because it is the body of Christ working together. Mm -hmm. But even still, you know, Christina or Tyler or you being saved does not even okay, mm -hmm. does not mean that I am saved. And mm -hmm. it goes it goes around with everybody. You know, we can emulate or we can strive to be like somebody, but that only goes so far. Mm -hmm. You know, when people start getting filled with the Holy Spirit and they start casting out devils and healing the healing the sick and raising the dead. That emulation doesn't go past that. That emulation stops right there. And that's when people are really exposed to, to who we truly are. And the Lord wants, he doesn't want to, I mean, David got exposed here because he didn't repent. So it's like, if we know that we have something within us and we're trying to hide it, and the Lord's like, no, you need to you need to deal with it for the day of judgment, the day of visitation is at hand. We are going to be exposed. One day we're going to be exposed to what's really in us, what's really not in us. And you know, we can only go so far. You know, Amen. the Lord wants us to be saved. Amen. You know, and that's really what it's about. Look at verse 10. It says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou did, for that, uh, for thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So God is saying, okay, since you were refused to look at the man within and desire to make it right, I'm just going to pull the sheets off and show everybody how you live it. Because that was love for David. Now, we know that David repented of this and he made it right. And he was one of the, in my opinion, man, one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. I think in many ways, there was never another king like him. Even with Solomon and all his riches, David loved the Lord. But you see, unless God pulled the sheets off and showed David who he really was, David would have never changed. David would have gone from one scheme unto another scheme unto another scheme. So this was love. You know, God had to, hey, we got to pay for what you did to Uriah the Hittite, but now we're going to make it right. And you know what? David still became fruitful. David still prospered. David still was a man of God and God still loved him. But God had to get right what was wrong in David. You don't want God to come looking for you like this because when he does, Man, he's going to show you all or show all who you really are. Man, thank you, Lord. So let's move on. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Now I got to hit some points before it's too late. Mark 7.
Oh man, and they're scrubbing my butt just as well with it. Throwing some rubbing alcohol on afterwards, man. Hey, that's what it is. Amen. Feels great when it's clean, though. Yeah, right. Only the process. It says, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. Now, you know, it's funny that the Lord is bringing this to my mind. We can blame Bathsheba and call her Jezebel and all that. But you know what the truth is? It was David. It doesn't even matter. You can't even blame Eve. It doesn't matter what Eve was. Adam was given the dominion. We can, we can blame whomever we want to blame, but it all comes down to what about me? What about what I've done? I said yes. I didn't have to say yes. I didn't have to go along with them, but I went because of whatever. So we can never blame somebody else for our temptation. Whatever witchcraft they divine, they'll pay for. But one thing is for sure is you and I have a right to say yes or no. It always comes back to us. Always. So it says, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his, some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with the file, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat, they eat not, sorry, and many other things uh, there be, which they have received uh, to hold as the washing of cups, pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? So what are these guys doing, majoring and minors? They were following Jesus around all this time and his disciples, and they noticed something. They don't wash their hands. So now I'm going to use that against them to show Jesus how unclean and how unrighteous he is. Never mind all the good stuff Jesus said. Ha I got him. Don't you know that this is how people are heretic hunters and fruit inspectors that do this thing too? They'll sit in the congregation, wait for the pastor to say something wrong. But the question is, okay, if he's wrong, why don't you do what's right? You see, it's always the man in the mirror. You can point out somebody's faults all day long, but guess what? What about you, buddy? Let's see your let's see your story. You see, it always, always comes back to us. So, and I'm not talking about you can't expose unrighteousness, of course. But but if I'm a prosperity preacher trying to expose another, something's wrong with that picture, you know, big time. Yeah, Christina. Book of Job when Satan is accusing her of all these things and just remembering that Satan is like the ultimate accuser of mm -hmm. all things. And so if we're doing that to other people, what kind of spirit are we partaking in? You know, this is true. This is true because the whole goal is that souls may be saved and give their lives to the Lord. There's a difference. There's a difference in reproving, rebuking, and exhorting to you know accuse a situation. There's a difference. You look for that sort of stuff to take place so that you can, you know, be that way. But let's just say, you know, I ran off with some woman. You guys saw me going into a hotel late at night and y'all come and tell me, Derek, who's that woman? 
What were you doing with her? What was going on? Then you see, you would want somebody to tell you, yeah, you're accusing me, but you're right. Because that needs to be exposed. I should be telling you that. I shouldn't be living a, a secret life away from everything else that's going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've accused you because you're guilty. You know, we saw you. But it's true. If all you do is accuse and beat them. So he says, I believe I'm in verse uh, six. He answered, who is Jesus? And said unto them, well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things like ye do. And he said unto them full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited, by me he shall be free. And he, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered in many such things like ye do, or like things ye do. So what was Jesus doing? Calling them out. He was saying, you guys want to be righteous and say all this righteous stuff, telling me about all my sin, all my flaws. And Jesus didn't have any sin, but Jesus is going to explain to these people what he's really, you know, what he's trying to get at here, because these guys just wanted to pick and poke and look for points that would suit them. But the bottom line is they still needed to know Jesus. They still needed to be saved. That's what it all boils down to. Look at verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So again, if you were to take David's situation into consideration, yeah, David was looking at a naked woman. David rested from the war. But what was the truth? It was what was in David that caused David to sin. I don't care if Bathsheba came and knocked on his door and said, I need you now. I need you badly. It doesn't matter. What's in David is what's going to come out when he is applied to you. When temptation is brought before you, it's only going to show you that which is within. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. He says, uh, yeah, so only those things that are in you is what defiles you. It's not about washing your hands and all the other stuff. He says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning a parable. And he saith unto them, are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because he entereth not into, it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. So what the Lord is bringing forward here is, it's what your nature is. Whatever your nature is, is what you are. Pastor Price has preached this for years. 
Sinner sin. Okay, pigs oink, all right? You know, dogs, you know, bury bones and, you know, play in dirt, okay? They do that because it's their nature. If you change the nature, if you work with that which is inside, if you allow the word of God with the, with the guidance of the spirit to clean out your unrighteousness, you cannot be defiled. You are gonna do what God tells you to do by nature. But what's the problem? We still got things within that keep us from serving the Lord. Some of us still have covetousness. Some of us are still lusting. Some of us are still prideful. Some of us are still doing things that we used to do that we won't allow the spirit to get a grip on. But you see, it's those things that are within that defile the man. And he's gonna give you a list of those things right now. He says, look at verse 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. From within, uh, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. And you know, many times we can be Christians, but we have some evil thoughts sometimes. We have some unclean, perverse thoughts at times. Somebody cut you off in traffic, you wish your car had a big battery ram on it that you can knock them off the road. And you'd be, you wouldn't even care if the car blew up. But you see, that's how you feel when you got evil thoughts. Look at adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, which is greed, wickedness, which is nature, you know, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye. That's what David had. Blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's why the Lord tells us to conquer inner space before we can conquer outer space. He tells us that we should be having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. What did David say? Uh, let's, let me look at Psalm 51 real quick. I just want to pull this. You guys don't have to follow me. But this was David's repenting what he brought with Bathsheba. I don't know why I can't even remember it tonight, but. David says something interesting in Psalm 51. He says, uh, hide, my, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And look what he says after that. In verse 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You first have to deal with the enemy within in order to get to the enemy without. Once I have dealt with my sin, now I can go and tell other people about theirs. God always begins with the inward man. Look at Luke 18. Luke chapter 18. If anyone has anything to add, please do. We're going to begin at uh, verse 9. Luke 18, guys, let's look at verse 9. You tired, Christina? I can see you look like you're fighting it. Like you, just, <laughs> you know, people are going out and they're trying to hold on to it. Like, 
She's in bliss right now. <laughs> Luke 18, let's look at verse 9. All right, Luke 18, guys, look at verse 9. It says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So this is why he taught this parable, that people that believed that they were righteous, self-righteous people, and they despised other people. Verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed uh, thus with himself, uh, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now you see, you got one guy in there. I don't even know why he came to the temple. I don't even know why he desired to pray before the Lord. Look at this man's words. He stood and prayed to himself in verse 11, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. So therefore other men are bad, you know, but I'm not as bad as they are. And then he says, uh, not as other men, that they are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. So the man is right next to him that he's talking about. Well, thank God, I could be bad, Lord, but thank God I ain't like all these other people, and especially that man right there, that publican. But you see what it says, and the publican wasn't even looking at anybody. And before the Lord beating upon his chest, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But you see what I'm saying? That man understood what he was. This other guy is believing that he's a righteous man. Why did you even pray? What is the purpose of you being there? You seem to be perfect all by yourself. You fast twice a week. You doing all this stuff. Look at verse 14. Uh, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone that exalteth it himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see what the Lord is showing them there? That guy was justified, he left, he doesn't need God's help. The only way we're gonna get what God has for us is if we can be honest with where we are. Hey, my picture isn't as full as it should be. Lord, I need to be broken so that you can fix me, so that you can fill me. But if you walk around in self-righteousness, you're not looking at the man in the mirror. That's what causes self-righteousness. Look at uh, Matthew 23. We ain't gonna go too long tonight. It seemed like God is slowing down time, man. Mm -hmm. Like we were in here for five hours. <laughs> Hang in there, brother. Chase off that spirit of slumber. Mm-hmm. 23, Matthew 23, look at verse one. He says, then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you, observe that observe and do. But do not, after, do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. 
So he's telling you what a hypocrite is. They will say and they will not do. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. So as you can see with these Pharisees, the things that they are most focused on is their outward appearance, how they're seen before men. They're not even dealing with what's within. Look at verse six, and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called men, called of men, rabbi, rabbi. So they like to be called master. They like the way that they look in the church and before other people. Look at verse, uh, verse eight, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. So he's telling you, humble yourself. Yeah, you might be pastors and teachers and all these other things, but I'm no more than your brother in the Lord. We've only got one master, and that is Jesus Christ. So look at verse um, uh, verse nine. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. So you see Roman Catholicism, they call the Pope father. They call all these different priests father. You should your father because you've only got one and that is Christ. Thinking about your dad in your life, that's got nothing to do with that. This is about people exerting or, or, or exhorting um, authority over you, trying to tell you that I'm, all, I'm over you. I'm your father and you're just my little child. No, that's wrong. We're all supposed to be brethren in the Lord. And I'm not saying a pastor can't exercise authority. He can. You know, he can say what needs to be said. But to call a man your father, he makes clear you've only got one father, which is in heaven. Look at uh, verse 10. Neither be, be ye called masters, but one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But look at what he says in verse 13, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering gospel or the things that God calls you to, you better be careful. Because you see these Pharisees, they have no intentions on getting saved. They've got no intentions on following Jesus Christ. So they shut up heaven from people that would go to Christ and they don't go in themselves. You see, you see, this is the wickedness of men. They don't desire to be saved, but they'll go and turn other people away from the truth. Look at verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer Therefore shall ye receive a greater damnation. So these Pharisees were known to, you know, take tithes from widows and all these different things. They don't care. They're there to get what they can get. They want to fleece the flock. Okay, but they're going to receive the greater damnation. And then they want to make long prayers if they're righteous. Like I said, you really want to know what a prosperity preacher is in the mirror? He's got a bandana around his face. He's wearing a ski mask. He's got a shotgun and a crew to tell you all, all right, everybody reach for the sky. 
turn around, turn around. Don't look my way. You know, rabbit ears, take out your pockets. And he robs the flock and then tells you when they turn back around, the Lord loves you, brother. He's got so much love for you and he's got good things for you. And by the way, after I robbed you, you're gonna get a thousand fold. You just wait on the Lord, brother. Your blessings are coming. That's the true man in the mirror that's preaching all that filth that these guys are preaching. It's unrighteous. Look at verse 15. What went to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. You know where you see this? And a lot of uh, Jehovah Witnesses are pretty good for this too, because Jehovah Witnesses will stand out there in the corner all day. I wish that the Christians worked as hard as they do. Jehovah Witnesses will go out and knock on every door. Regardless if they're saying, beware of dog, they don't care. They'll ring that bell, knock on the door, speak to everybody in town. They'll go far, they'll work hard. But when they finally got somebody in their kingdom hall, they make them twofold the child of hell. Why? For bringing them false doctrine and not even leading them to the ways of Christ. Man, that's, that's, that's pitiful. That's so bad, man. So anyway, um, look at verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind gods, which say whatsoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is the greater, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. So they're also idolaters. You get a lot of people this way, man. Some people will only come to church to see the pastor. But what about going there for God for yourself that you could be made right to know God? Who is greater, the pastor or, or Jesus Christ that the pastor is preaching about? This is how a lot of people get hooked to personalities. I like the way he preached. That's fine. But you're not supposed to make that man everything to you. You get what you can from him. You give honor to whom honors do, credit to whom credit's due. But your sole purpose of why you go anywhere to hear the word is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's why you're there. You go to college to go and sleep with women and party or do whatever, or are you going there for an education? Now, the primary goal is education. You may find some people that go there for other reasons, but it's just like you sitting there taking out loans, wasting your money on going to college to fool around when you're supposed to get out of this a degree. This is where you and I should be seeking the Lord, getting as much of Jesus Christ as we can, that we can be full, that we can do the work ourselves. But you got too many idolaters, man. Look at verse 18. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, and whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctified the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of men, and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done 
and not to leave the other undone. A lot of people will fix themselves on certain things concerning the gospel. Yeah, I'm giving offering, I'm doing this, but what about the weightier matters of the Lord? What about the fornication? What about the homosexuality? What about the adultery? What about sin? They don't even preach sin in church for, good, for goodness sake today. They're not even telling people their faults so that people can make themselves right because they're outwardly appearing to be righteous, but oh, I gotta keep the money coming in. I can't afford to tell people where they're wrong. This is what you're seeing everywhere. They major in minors, but they won't deal with the things that they should be dealing with. Look at verse 24, ye blind guides, which strain at a net and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. It's the same thing. You got to clean the inside of the cup. I don't care if somebody brought me a golden chalice to drink in. If I look in that cup and I see backwash and I see lip prints and I see filth inside of the cup, I'm not gonna drink from it. I don't care how beautiful it is on the outside. But you see, if you clean the inside, if you deal with the man in the mirror and that sin within, then the outside will get right all by itself. Yes, Sarah. It's interesting that you say that because remember when Leonard Ravenhill preached and he said that he went to a place and this woman had him come in and uh, said, you want some tea? And the cup, when he looked inside the cup, he said there was all sorts of stuff inside the mm -hmm. cup. He said it took him back into a time of place when Jesus drank mm -hmm. of that cup of mm -hmm. iniquity. Mm -hmm. And so he was basically pointing it out to them because Jesus already knew what he came here to do. Mm -hmm. He already knew that he was the cup that he was to drink out of. Mm -hmm. But he knew that those Pharisees, full of extortion, full of trying to get people's money, mm -hmm. full of deceiving people, mm -hmm. they were drinking drinking of the cup of Satan. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, they they had that outward appearance, but the inside was that unclean. It was that uncleanness yeah. that you know he was going to take to the cross with him. But they had to see it for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's right. Amen. Yeah, Leonard Ravenhill, if anybody's never seen that video, there's a sermon jam by Leonard Ravenhill called Gethsemane's Cup. And he spoke about how there was a woman, one day he was walking through Manchester in a really poor area. And a woman said, hey, I know who you are. You're the pastor of the tabernacle. She said, I've been there. I sit way in the back, but I don't have any money you know, to give offering. He said, okay. So she said, well, why don't you come in and have cream or tea with me? And Leonard Ravenhill said, um, well, he said, have, she said, have tea with me. Leonard Ravenhill said, oh, I'm sorry. It's five minutes till I got to get ready to start my service. And the woman said, that's not the reason you won't come in because I'm poor. So he said, all right, fine. He came in with the woman and he said, man, it was a pigsty like you wouldn't believe. He said it was that kind of place you would have to hold your nose and you didn't even want to go into. So he said the sink was full of, I mean, piled up with dishes. And he said the woman took out a cup and she took out a spoon to stir the, the, uh, the tea. And he said, man, he said, what is that stuff that people use 
you know, to um, deal with infection and all that. He said penicillin. She had about fifty dollars worth on that, like full of mold, you know, on her um, on her spoon. So she gave him a dirty cup. He said it was full of tea leaves and all that. She didn't even have like warm water or whatever. So she poured a thick black tea into the um, into the cup. And then, you know, he's looking at it and she was like, well, do you take cream? You know, and he's thinking, man, I don't even want to be in here or drink this nasty tea in this stinking house. So as the woman said, you know, gave him the cup and he began to like, you know, shy away from it. Like, man, I don't want to drink this. He said the woman told him, drink it, you know, or whatever. And he says, as he got ready to put his mouth to that cup, he said his mind went back 2,000 years. And he began to think about the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus Christ had to drink from the cup of sin for you and I. An innocent man, a clean man, a righteous man that had nothing to do with the sin of man. But he, he did drink. But it was brought, it brought revelation to him that the Lord was allowing that, that he may see that the Lord put up with all of our sin. The Lord drank a cup of bitterness, a cup of iniquity. I mean, every sin that man ever committed, Jesus Christ drank and took to that, that cross. That was the judgment upon a righteous Jesus. So it was just interesting. If you guys get a chance, check out that sermon because, man, that was a good one. But he's, that was the Lord showing him, you see? You can't even take it, but look at what I'm doing. Look at what I've done. So praise the Lord. So anyway, back on track. So he says in verse 27, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So ye are like unto whited sepulchers. Outwardly you look, look beautiful, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. You guys ever been to a Catholic church and one of them, you know, prosperity churches and everything? I mean, it's like a mausoleum. There's no life in there. There's no Christ in there. There's no conviction of sin in there, but everything around it looks beautiful. That's what he's talking about. There's no conviction. There's no cleansing. There's no empowering of the spirit. It's just a bunch of outward goodly looking. And people will say, man, look at that suit. Man, look at the way they are. It's so nice and so clean. But he says they're full of dead men's bones, no spirit, no Holy Ghost. That's what God wants to do. He wants to fill us with the spirit, empower us to live the life of Christ that we may die to self. And when people see us, they see Jesus. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what the man in the mirror is supposed to reflect. He's only supposed to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. Everything else outside of that is a broken mirror. So let's move forward. Let's go to James chapter one. James one, I'm almost done, guys. James chapter one. James 1, let's look at verse 1. He says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
So of course we can't build ourselves up. Patience here is a is a fruit of the spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring you and I to a place of going from one level to the next. You'll become more sanctified, more like Christ, more into Jesus, a stronger relationship with him. If you let the patience of the Holy Spirit have its work in us to build us up. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So as you can see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. There are many things we might be seeking as we're walking with the Lord. Let us ask in faith. One thing I love that Pastor Price said, because a lot of brothers, you know, um, got baptized during the man up meeting, myself included. I went back in water. But Pastor Price said, for those who are seeking the things of God and doing what God calls them to, he says, the one thing that you should be looking for is expectancy. He says, the Lord will come upon you and give you the things that you need, as sure as I'm standing here, if you believe it. You know, you get baptized, you should expect the things that God wants you to do. If you fulfill God's word, you can hold God to his word. That's the only person that can hold God to his word is if you have fulfilled the conditions that God has told you to do. Now, some people would say, what are you doing getting baptized? Hey, man, that was just an inward walk. That was my conscience. That was the Lord. You know, I felt in myself, Derek, in what way does your life reflect Jesus Christ? That was all I needed to know. I said, I want to get baptized again because I feel like the Lord deserves my absolute best. The Lord deserves the way that Jesus went down in water and came out and was serious about what he needed. Hey, I did some playing around since being saved. I have wandered away from the path since being saved. I have, you know, and I'm not saying you won't have growing pains, but that was upon my conscience. Lord, I want to go back in again, and I want to do it right with you. I want you to fill me that I may do what you call me to do. Okay, so, you know, I can't tell anybody else what to do, but for me, that was something, that was an inward walk. That was the mirror. Hey, man, if you're serious about getting things done with you and I, then you and I need to, you know, build this thing up fresh. We need to begin on the right foot, not with a double mind, not with a double heart, not slowly but surely just working this thing out. Yeah, I can have that. But he told me to go back in water. So what did I do? I went back in water. He showed the mirror before me. I saw things that were not like the Lord. Hey, I'm going in for another dip. And that's how it has to be, you know, with us. We have to be led by the Spirit, okay? Look at verse uh, Look at uh, verse 7. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I want to say to those who are waiting to be baptized in the Spirit, you can't be unstable because, you see, a lot of people fight the Holy Ghost today because the Spirit didn't fall on them. You need to ask the Lord where you're wrong. You need to ask Lord to show you, Lord, why isn't it happening to me? I know your word is real, but you know what people will say instead? The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for today. Well, you cancel yourself out in this thing. You see, you didn't really believe anyway, because if you're seeking him, you're gonna seek him until you find it. 
But if you're backing out of it, making excuses for it, then that only says you didn't believe. You were like the winds tossed. Well, today I believe, but tomorrow I don't. No, we've got to seek, ask, and knock until the Lord gives you the things that you have asked of him. But a double-minded man, he's unstable in all ways. He can't receive anything of the Lord. Look at nine, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low because as a flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat and it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth and the grace of the fashion of, of it perisheth, so also shall a rich man fade away in his ways. And that's why we better understand that the true treasure is the Holy Spirit, not what you can have in yourself. When God comes back in the end to lift his people up, he's lifting up the Holy Ghost and calling him back all those that are attached to him. For those who are not, you know, that's another story. So people better seek the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation but when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So if you love the Lord and you seek after him and you endure temptation, God will bless you. That's why we can't blame Eve as much as we want to. We can't blame Bathsheba. We can't even blame Ahab. He, I mean, no, we can blame Ahab. We can't even blame Jezebel. But Ahab was king. Who did he choose to be a wife? Jezebel of the Zidonians. It all goes back to us. It all goes back to us. Look at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, but God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Do you see that? David, Adam, name them all out there name ourselves too in the midst. We are all tempted when we are drawn away with our own lust and enticed. That's why we must be cleaned out. Because when the devil goes sifting and searching and looking for things in you, if he can't find it, he can't, he can't attempt you. We must be like Christ. And I'm not saying through this that the Jezebel spirit doesn't exist. She definitely exists. I'm not saying that Ahab doesn't exist. He exists, okay? They are real enemies. But if we allow ourselves to be cleaned out in Christ, there is nothing that those spirits can do to you, okay? Look at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So you see, you only sin when you allow yourself to be enticed. And then comes death. That's what we got to look at. If we don't clean up our act, you will go to hell. Look at verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, uh, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. So why did he give us the word? Why is he on our case? Why is he working with you and I? Because he wants you and I to be the first fruits, just like Jesus Christ was, the choice fruits of his kind. 
In order to be ripe fruit, you got to get ripe, okay? Because anything outside of that, when it's corrupted, you can't you can't take a fruit that's corrupt and make it right. You got to throw it away. So what does God do? He ripens the fruit, and it's up to us to stay with him, to be watered, and to be made clean. But if we allow ourselves to be corrupted, it's because we disconnected from the vine. That's all this is. So anyway, look at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. Look at yourself first. For the wrath of man worketh not in righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness or humility the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. That's why you don't fight the Bible. But God's word says it. That is what it is, because it's only meant to do one thing, save your soul. Look at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Many of us can hear the word, mentally ascend, that we are doing the word of God, and you're going to find out that you're not. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for, that we will not be deceived. He'll show you who you are so that you can be made right in Christ. Look at verse um, 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. Another word for glass there is mirror. It's just like a man. Look what it says. If he's just a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man or like unto a man looking at his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth of what manner of man he was. You are shown who you are, but you look at yourself and you, yeah, okay, you forget what you are and go right back to where you were and pretend that you're a Christian. Pretend that you're serving Christ. Pretend that you have put away all sin and you're sinning constantly every day. This cannot be a work of mental ascension. This has to be an inward walk, a self-reflective walk where God shows you you and your desire to change. That's what this is about. Anyway, look at verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continue with therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So you wanna know what pure religion is, how it is to be righteous, to love your neighbor as yourself and to stay unspotted from the sin of the world. This is what the word of God brings us. This is what it's all about. So let's go to Revelation three and I'm gonna close from there guys. Revelation three and I am going to close. My brother and sister can get some sleep tonight. 
<laughs> y'all were battling hard. What got y'all out of there is y'all went to that mountain and burned up all your energy there, mm -hmm. man. That'll wear you out, man. Then you come back and try to sit in a nice warm place. Man, you're oh, going to go to man. sleep. Yeah. You're going to fight that. All right, Revelation 3, guys. Let's look at verse 14. One of them nights, I'm going to have to listen to this again because I don't know what I said. Revelation 3, look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness and of the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So again, the Lord is making clear here, I know your works. He told all seven churches, I know your works. So that's something we got to look at. We want to be made righteous from the inside out because he called this church lukewarm. Look at lukewarm. I know we know what that means, but look at the Bible definition. G5513, tepid or lukewarm, metaphorically, of the condition of the soul, wretchedly fluctuating between a torpor and a fervor of love. So as you can see, we need to be hot for Christ, hot for the purposes of Jesus Christ. You see how we can be tepid? You see how Paul tells us to be instant, but we find ourselves like David, taking a break from the war. And then before you know it, you're back in the world. This is how the Lord works with us. So he's making it clear because you were neither hot nor cold. I would rather you be cold and I would rather you be hot. But because you choose to be neither, you want to play both sides of the fence. I will spew you out of my mouth. You make God sick. That's what he's saying. So anyway, look at uh, verse 17. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Look at that outward appearance. I'm rich and increased with goods. So therefore, I don't need anything. Look at that. And he says, I have a need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Do you not know what the inside of the cup looks like? Do you not know that this temple is full of idols? Do you not realize, man, that there is no Jesus Christ in sight and you call yourself in need of nothing? Man, this is crazy. But you see, this is going on all over the world. So wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, look at the Lord and his goodness in verse 18. I counsel you. I love how the Lord tells us, come, let us reason together. You know, though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them white as snow. God is like, come let us reason together. Stop playing, man. You know you're not where you need to be. Stop trying to pretend that we're something that we're not. He says, I'm counseling you. Look at what the Lord says. To buy from me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, and that thou may be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. The Lord said, all right, let's be real here. 
You need to buy this gold. Who's that gold? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was tried and Jesus Christ measured up to every single trial. So he's saying, buy from me, buy my spirit, buy Jesus Christ that was tried in the fire, riches that won't go away, a false outward appearance that won't fulfill your destiny. Forget all that, buy the gold of Christ and look at what this gold does, that you may be rich. You may not be rich in money, but you'll be rich towards God. That means you can go to God for anything and he'll take care of it. And white raiment, what is that? Your robe of robe of righteousness, and that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. What do they mean by nakedness here? But you don't know Holy Ghost. No covering, no God. So you see, this is what it's all about. And then it says, and anoint thine eyes with thyself that thou mayest see, because the Lord knows that the Laodiceans had the same problem as Matthew 7. A beam in your own eye trying to look at the speck in someone else's eye. He said, man, let me get you some eye salve that you can finally see clearly. And what will we see when we see clearly? Our need for Jesus. That's what it's about. So anyway, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Look at what the Lord is offering us, a lifetime relationship with Jesus Christ that we may be intimate with him, that you may be in him and he may be in you. And this is beautiful. So he stands at the door and knock. How does he knock? He works with your conscience, but he desires you to pray. Sometimes he's got ministers and evangelists telling people, man, stop playing and give your life to Jesus. You know, because he wants people to be saved. So when he says he stands at the door and knock, God will send many people to you sometimes that you can get it right. There are times when you know you're listening to too much music or watching too much TV and the Lord will say, on your knees. And you look around like you didn't hear it, huh? You know, and get right back to it. Hey, why don't you pray? You haven't prayed today. It's 3 p.m. You hear that. You hear the Lord telling you that. But what do we do in about 15 more minutes? You don't know what the Lord might be willing to do with you in that prayer time. He might need you right now to intercede for somebody that's in Australia. You never know. So anyway, look at verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and have sat down at my father in his throne. So Jesus wants us to sit with him like he sits with the father. What greater glory can we have than that? But we must play it straight, be real with the Lord so that he can do what he needs to do. Verse 22 says, He's that he that have an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. So you see, guys, we must be overcomers and we're not gonna be overcomers by pretending. We've got to be real with the Lord so that he can make us what he truly wants us to be in his image and his likeness, full of Jesus Christ to do the will of Jesus Christ. So I just wanna say, guys, that's the lesson for tonight. You know, uh, give your life to Jesus for those who know they're not saved. Give your life to him while there is time. 
Repent of your sins. Turn from your wickedness. Confess your sins. And, the, and God is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay, so get, get to know the Lord while you can so that all will be right with you in the end. I also want to introduce the Organic Gospel book by Pastor Price and Sister Maisha Hunter. This book proves that the gospel is organic. You can get it for uh, for $13.95. You hear Sister Sarah? And it's a good read. I'm already on chapter four. Man, I'm going to have to read it again. <laughs> She's on chapter four and I have to read it again. My sister bought this book and she says it changes how you think. There's plenty of scripture in here. And, you know, there's even a study guide that I think one of the sisters, Naomi and Omega Ministries, put together with it so it'll be easier to go through. But, you know, you want to get this book, guys. We're not selling books for cash. This is about setting captives free that they may know Jesus Christ, that they may inherit eternal life with the Lord. Okay, so get it at www.theorganicgospel.net. Also, I want to introduce Brother Jeremiah's book. That's Coach P. That's on tonight. This is called And They Overcame. This has the testimony of a lot of Christians. This is the second edition uh, for those who have battled with sin and have made it through in the Lord. My testimony is also in here. You know, I don't mind sharing, but how we overcame, it's all to do with Jesus. So I think it is good that we sharpen one another. You can get this book for $7.99, and I believe it's, um, uh, you can get it on Lulu Books, okay? So you can order it and get as many copies as you can that you might even hear some testimonies that may inspire you to overcome the sin that you might be struggling with. So, okay, guys, let's pray. And then from there, what does Sister Naima say? Uh, we must be overcomers and will not be over, and we will not be overcomers by pretending straight truth. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's go out in prayer. And I think we can close from there. Any volunteers for prayer? I'll pray. All right. Sister Christine is praying tonight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that you gave tonight. And I just ask that we don't just be hearers of the word, but we follow your word with obedience, Father God, that we go out and do your word, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. I thank you for being such a good father that we are able to come to you with anything, Lord, with any mistake, with anything from our past, Lord Jesus. And you are open to forgive us, Lord, because you went on the cross. You yes, fearfully and wonderfully made each and every one of us and our testimonies show that Lord Jesus Thank and you Jesus. knew we'd be the hands and the feet that go out on this earth Lord to be your church Lord to save souls Lord Father God so let us act boldly with our testimonies no matter where we're at Lord whether it's at work whether it's at a bus stop or talking to someone in line wherever it is our families whatever yes, it is Lord that you were pushing on our hearts Lord and Keep us in prayer for those that need saving, Lord Jesus. Yes, Don't ever let us Lord. get tired or wasteful or fearful, not unbelief. Take unbelief away, Lord. We yes, know Lord. the enemy tries to attack us with that and that with doubt, Lord Jesus. And I ask that you just remove that from our hearts, Lord, and that you give us a greater outpouring of your spirit. We know we cannot do this walk without you and your yes, power. Lord. We need your spirit, Father God. You, so I just ask that you pour even more into our vessels, Lord, these leaky vessels that every day, need to be renewed by your filling waters from heaven, yes, Lord, Lord, and your manner. 
the Thank manna, you, the word of God that comes from you, Lord, your scriptures that feed us, Lord, feed our spirit. Our spirit man yes, needs Lord. to be continually fed. We don't just eat twice a day or once a day. Sometimes when we're fasting, we don't eat at all. But we need to be yes, seeking Lord. you more than once a day, Lord Jesus. We need to be praying multiple times a day, Lord Father God, yes, interceding Lord. for those that we see uh, around us, Lord Jesus, or that we are talking to, Father God. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for allowing us a chance, more than one chance, over and over, Lord Jesus, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your goodness, and for your rebuke, God. Thank you for counseling us. Thank you for loving us enough to correct us when we are wrong. Yes, we Lord. do make mistakes. That's a beautiful thing. That's a loving father. We thank you for not allowing us to continue to go and um, sin and hurt ourselves and cause death and destruction in our lives, Lord. But you take that mirror in front of our face and yes, you ask Lord. us to reflect. And you ask us to hand everything, every worry, every fear up to you, Lord, so you can take care of it in our lives. Yes, Lord. I ask that everyone that's listening now, that they open up their hearts to you, Lord God, that they ask you to search every single area, Lord, to take out any wickedness and um, to reflect on anything that is in us. We know daily new things come within us, yes, new Lord. thoughts, new attacks new whatever it is lord jesus we this battle is continuous it doesn't you don't just overcome one thing right away like it tempts you again but we have you and so we are strong lord jesus and we can stay away from it lord jesus and we thank, thank you, you for jesus. that power of the holy ghost um thank you lord we love you we thank you and we ask that yes, you continue lord. to help us grow in grace in jesus name in jesus name amen amen all right, guys, so that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Um, you know, I guess we'll begin our teachings again next week on Sunday at 3 p.m. Um, yeah, what else do I want to say? Any other uh, notice? Probably not. Uh, Sister Naima, uh, Sister Kiara, Coach P. Uh, let's see, Sister Tatiana, uh, who else was on tonight? Uh, yeah, I said, uh, Brother Cord. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Brother Sal, uh, Sister Tara. Uh, let's see who else. Sister Latoya. And um, if there's any others that I've missed, then forgive me. I also want to ask for prayer for my brother and sister that's here tonight. Uh, they're engaged tonight. You know, our brother Taylor popped the question. So we want to actually... Um, Keep them in prayer, guys, okay? Uh, keep them in the presence of the Lord and pray for their guidance that they may do right before the Lord. So we just pray and we ask that God does all these things. Don't forsake your prayer closets, guys. I love you all. Subscribe to the channel and have a good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.